0: Hey, good morning. I, I like that music. You know, I do uh, some things for over the back fence. Radio is called as radio theater in Lanesboro, and they bring in musical groups from all over. And I, they had an Irish group, and it's, I'm going to feel terrible and it'll bother me all day because I can't remember the name of the group. But they played such wonderful music, unless you really listen to the words. Oh, they were sad, <laughs> depressing words to the Irish folks, you know, back in the day when they were ruled by other countries. And, you know, but what great music! It just made you—you you couldn't stop your toes from tapping. It was just one of those things. Or if you concentrate on that, all of a sudden your hand was bouncing off your <laughs> knee, and it was just uh, great, great music. But the uh, the secret, I guess, was to not listen too closely to the wording. So
1: well, you know, bluegrass uh, has that same. Around, yep. I, I was gonna say bluegrass has that same reputation of it's really lively music. But if you listen to the words, it too anything with bluegrass is. Is really depressing too because usually something dies and it's you know an old truck and a t- railroad train and you know bad stuff.
0: I'm a man of constant sorrow. Yes. Kind <laughs> of uh, sums up a lot of bluegrass which it's a wonderful song and as a storyteller I seem to spend a lot of time on stage with bluegrass folks and I, oh, I love that music it's just the, the greatest stuff but yeah you are right and uh, it, yesterday, out driving around from here to there and going about uh, business, and uh, you know, it rained, it misted, it. it just did everything uh, odd in January. But if we look back, if folks keep a diary or journal, you go back last year, year before, you know, we had the same kind of odd weather most years. Um, No year here is normal, of course, but it uh, it just makes it kind of scary when you're out there trying, and there's rain on your windshield in the middle of uh, January. It just doesn't seem right, but, uh, you know, we don't get any choice in the matter. I know uh, one day uh, I was doing a Christmas bird count, and the snow fell, and it was lovely. It was as if I were in a snow globe. And I realized something. I don't appreciate each individual snowflake as much as I should. Maybe too many years of pushing it and shoveling <laughs> it. I don't know what it is, but I am going to just appreciate things like that a little bit more. That's I, I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I need to appreciate stuff like that because it was so beautiful. As a kid, I bet a lot of you listeners, you had a you had the snow globe that your Aunt Ruth gave it to you. It had been passed down from somebody, and it had a little crack in it, and they put epoxy or something on there. And But you'd shake it up, and you'd see those fall down. I remember breaking my mother's, and uh, I didn't want to get caught. So I kind of glued it back together, and this is how stupid I was. I put some snow, fl- or, uh, oh, we had those. Dish flakes were flakes that you used to wash dishes, and I think you could even use them to wash clothes. They were like a multi-purpose thing. Was it Naft? Oh, I can't remember. Like NAFTA something. And I put them in the globe, which, you know, you can imagine how bright that was because it all turned to soap. And I got by with it for quite a while till some uh, relatives came, and one of them said, oh, what a beautiful snow globe, and they shook it up, and it all turned to a big soap bubble in there. And then I, 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 nobody had to waterboard me or anything. I spilled my guts and said, I did it. I did it. I didn't mean to, because I was throwing a ball in the house, which, you know, you weren't supposed to do, mm-hmm. but as soon as I was alone in the house, I, I threw balls. Uh As I walked the other day, I always tell word uh, that birds wallpapered my stroll, and there was a dazzling array of winter birds in the yard, and the sounds they and the squirrels made were definitely calls of the wild, and I watched downy woodpeckers forage now males and females these are our smallest woodpeckers and our most common one that most folks will see in their yard they divide their feeding territories in the winter so the males tend to feed on the small branches and the weed stems while the females feed on the larger branches and trunks and some are saying well how nice of him he allows her to have the big stuff well he feeds in the better places, the better places to get something to eat are in the small branches and weed stems. So he will discourage females from foraging in better spots. And downies are able to eat foods that larger woodpeckers cannot reach. So he's, he's not being all that much of a gentleman. And uh, Tim Scott, good friend uh, sent me an article from the New York times and it, was uh, saying about beauty, uh, beauty of birds. And it, uh, a little bit, kind of summing up, it said a new generation of biologists is reviving Darwin's neglected brainchild. Beauty, they say, does not have to be a proxy for health or advantageous genes. Sometimes beauty is the glorious but meaningless flowering of arbitrary preference. Animals simply find certain features a blush of red, a featured or a feathered flourish to be appealing. And that innate sense of beauty itself can become an engine of evolution, pushing animals towards aesthetic extremes. In other cases, certain environmental or, or physiological constraints steer an animal towards an aesthetic preference that has nothing to do with survival whatsoever. So uh, it not every. Every bit of beauty is uh, has a the purpose that we may at once thought it did. Uh, Don Grusing had a female yellow-shafted flicker was at his feeders. It must be yesterday. It was eating suet, much of it flicker style, poking its bill in the fat and then sitting there. I assume sticking her tongue inside and lapping up the beef fat. My suet feeder is on the trunk of a tree, which I believe woodpeckers prefer. She also ate some suet in the traditional woodpecker style. Then she flew to a tubular peanut feeder. She took some time figuring it out, but then stayed there extracting morsels for a much longer time than the usual visitors to the peanut larder. Perhaps she really needed to feed... I don't even see the flickers at my feeders in the summer. Yeah, thanks, Don. I saw a couple of flickers here the other day. It's nice to see them there, such lovely birds. And uh, at the local cafe here, uh, we actually feed in the traditional woodpecker style. So they pass the food around. We all just kind of peck at it. Uh, Carol Ward. Thank you, Carol. Uh, Carol lives in Le Sur. She sent me a photo of a Baltimore Oriole that's in her backyard. It was in a lilac and they've had this there all winter, so they've had a Baltimore Oriole on their Christmas bird count, which I don't think I've ever had uh, on a Christmas bird count. Baltimore Orioles are really tough, and I keep my fingers crossed that this bird will be okay. Uh, I just, but you know, it is Minnesota. Man, we can be hard on things, so it, it looks in good shape, and folks are feeding it, and I, I just hope it Hope it makes it. I see fox, gray, and red squirrels all all kind of together. They take turns feeding and chasing one another around. And you just wonder how they make it. And they do uh, a couple of, well, three things, probably main things. They bulk up. Before, uh, in the fall, they just eat everything they can. They're putting on winter fat, I, I hear farmers of uh, my acquaintance often say that, that they've got to put on winter weight so they'll stay warm all winter. And then squirrels will cache food for winter, and so do these friends that are farmers. They hide snicker bars around the house <laughs> so their wives won't see them or steal <laughs> them. And this, by doing, caching food, this lessens the need to spend time foraging in severe weather. So they've got food put away, They don't have to worry when a blizzard hits, they're going to be okay. The other thing they do is they weather a storm in a dray, and a dray is D-R-E-Y, and that's a type of nest in the forks of trees. It's a squirrel's build of dry leaves and twigs. As you drive around today, you'll be able to look up in the trees and see this big clump of something up there, and that is a squirrel dray. And they well, they'll also use tree cavities and nest boxes. I would think the tree cavities would be the first thing that a lot of them would look for, but there's probably not enough to go around. Red squirrels are little guys. And the smallest of, our, our tree, of the three, fox, gray, and red. They will cache cones and uh, various nuts in something called middens, M-I-D-D-E-N, a midden. It's a pile of food and leftovers. And they will also hang fungi in trees for winter eating, these little squirrels. And if you get near one of their middens, you will know it because they will come out and call you every name they can think of. Uh, They're just not happy to have you there. Uh, Chipmunks, which we kind of lump into that same group, they are not a tree squirrel, but they sleep in their burrow. And they wake periodically to eat stored food. Uh, ground squirrels and ground hogs, they use stored fat to, for maintenance energy during their hibernations. Uh, voles, Karen's friend the voles, they <laughs> build nests and tunnels under an insulating blanket of snow and eat from a cache of seeds and nuts or consume bark or roots in this is called a subnivian environment. Subnivian means beneath the snow. And when forced to leave this safety zone, voles become vulnerable to predation by hawks, owls, foxes, and other things. There isn't uh, much snow cover in a lot of areas, so I'm thinking it's probably a a tough time for voles because uh, things can get them. Uh, They're out there, kind of in the open, so it has to be a little uh, tougher year for them. The good news, if you're a vole fan, uh, however, I don't know any sports athletic team or athletic teams that are nicknamed the voles. There probably are some. (laughs) There is one anyway, somewhere I would think. But well, they are.
1: I was gonna say voles are persistent, so that would be a good name for a team that was determined and persistent. So not such a bad name after all.
0: I, I don't think it is either. You know, the Vermont State Voles or something like that. I I would think would be perfect. <laughs> they they'll they'll be okay. They produce uh, just incredible amounts of uh, young voles. So uh, I think we're always going to have voles, and I'm sure the owls probably really appreciate having an ample supply of voles around. And now they can see them running. In a lot of winters, we will see owls hit on roads and sometimes hawks because they will swoop down trying to catch a vole running across the road. That's pretty good, pretty good hunting area other than they get hit by something, but they can see that it's an easy catch. The little voles scurrying across the highway. The hawk or the owl has got quite a bit of time to come down and get him. I saw a red fox in the yard. A red fox stays warm by growing a winter coat, and then they curl into a ball on open ground. You'd think they'd want to den up, but no, they get right out there in the open. They curl up, and then they wrap that tail around like we would a warm scarf, and they cover up their nose, and they have a nap. I, saw, I was taking the mail down. I saw deer tracks at the edge of the yard. Uh, Deer, they survive winter by changing the way they eat. They go from being a grazing animal to a browsing animal. And their gray-brown winter coats have hollow hair shafts and a dense underfur that provides excellent insulation. Uh, For us, not capable of growing much of a fur coat and unable to construct a suitable dray, some humans opt to migrate to areas of warm temperatures with an abundance of restaurants and the rest of us stay here. So I don't know who's the smartest or who's the best. I'm I'm going to stick with uh, my folks that stay here. We had uh, saw 14 cedar waxwings on one Christmas bird count. I never know whether I'm going to see them or not. And I talked a little bit about them oh, probably before Christmas and somebody sent me an email and said, uh, How? Why are they called cedar waxwings? Well, cedar, the first part of their common name, is based on their fondness for cedar berries. So if you have a cedar tree in in your yard, they like those berries. So that part's pretty simple. The second part, the waxwing part of their name, comes from the waxy red tips of the secondary wing feathers of some birds. So you might see some that don't have that. A group of waxwings is known as an earful or a museum. Yep, earful. Like, uh, boy, my teacher gave me an earful the (laughs) other day. So, Or my boss gave me an earful. We've all had an earful. So it's an earful or a museum, and I was going to look up why museum. I remember a couple years ago probably, and I don't think I've got around to it yet. If I did, I don't remember it, but it seems like an odd name, a museum. Uh, You might see a cedar waxwing tomorrow as they are more nomadic than migratory, so they could still be in your neighborhood. Uh, Maybe until tomorrow they might be leaving that. I uh, got a nice email from somebody who said, I watch songbirds, actually she said little birds, flock around a screech owl. Why do they do that? Birds mob predators as a collective response to danger. So they see this as a terrible thing, having a screech owl or a cooper's hawk in the, in the yard near where they live. So this is a predator that's come into their neighborhood.
1: But don't they put themselves at risk? I was going to say, don't they put themselves at risk by surrounding this predator? I mean, it seems to me that's kind of a dangerous (laughs) tactic to take.
0: Yeah, and I watch like chickadees. They're really good at doing that. They come in, they go chickadee dee 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 and warns all the other birds. But they will stay uh, kind of above the bird, the predator, they don't wanna get below because then mm. then they could have problems. You wanna stay above it. And very often if the bird is perched, they will get in, uh, oh, where there's a tangle of branches and things. So they will find a way to be safe while they're, while they're calling this bird all kinds of names. And are they trying to drive the threat away or are they just trying to call attention to it? I think probably both in a perfect world I would assume they would love to drive that predator away, but that's not always possible, so it seems that they want to come in there and warn the other members of their flock that there is something terrible here. You have to be very, very careful um, that this doesn't get you, so I, it's, oh, uh, you know, I shouldn't enjoy watching that because it's just, uh, it's stressful for all the birds, but I get a kick out of seeing them when they mob something. They just, um, it, it's, neat. it's like they're all working together, these various species, to warn one another and work to, uh, to save themselves from this. Uh, somebody asked, they said, everybody says bugs. Is that correct to call insects bugs? Well, the insects don't mind, so you can call them anything, uh, we tend to use bugs to identify many small creatures, especially those with legs of some kind. We say that's a bug. However, there's a true bug, and a true buck, bug has a stylet. Uh, how, it's It would be a mouth like a straw that comes out that they generally use to suck juices from plants. Uh, leafhoppers, aphids, cicadas, stink bugs, bugs. Uh, there's one that doesn't suck juices from plants. It would like to suck juices from us, I guess. Bed bugs, they are true bugs. So insects belong to a, a, a different. They're they're in the member class Insecta, and they're characterized by three part bodies. Usually have two pairs of wings, six legs. Oh, when you think of insects, the prime ones, probably. <clears throat> would be bees and mosquitoes and then there are anthropods and they're in a separate phylum from bugs and insects and these are centipedes spiders ticks so not all insects are bugs but all bugs are insects if that makes sense not all insects are bugs but all bugs are insects and to repeat myself to repeat (laughs) myself A key difference between true bugs and other insects are the mouth parts. And to put it crudely, true bugs suck. And that'd be the way to kind of tell (laughs) the difference. Uh, I was listening to a speaker. Oh, this would probably be three years ago, maybe. And we were talking about uh, at the time there had been an accident involving Canada. I believe they were Canada geese that were hit by an airplane. And we asked what bird is most likely to be hit by an aircraft in North America, and we figured it would be a goose or maybe starling, something like that. But according to the Smithsonian Natural History Museum, I was told, the species most often involved in bird strikes is the horn lark but it's a small bird. It's one we see on our roadsides here, pretty brown and kind of light colored underneath, and they're very small, so I would guess most of them are just hit by an airplane, and that really doesn't uh, cause any damage to the plane or the people on board, but that, I would have lost that on any kind of trivia contest, because I, that would have been way down my list, but it makes sense, because that, uh, airports would be the kind of habitat that they like. They like open ground, and uh, they seem to prefer windy areas, which open ground, of course, would provide. So, it's uh, yeah, it's. I love seeing horn larks. I love listening to their their tinkling song as I do uh, breeding bird surveys. It is a bird that nests here. How fast do an antlers a deer antlers grow? Uh, we had a Christmas party on Sunday and we looked outside and there was a uh, deer out there and it was a mounted uh, deer or stuffed deer that somebody had put up out there. Well, one of the youngsters in the family had to run outside and just to uh, check to make sure, you know, it wasn't a real deer. And she came back and said it had 17 points on this fake deer. A white-tailed buck's antlers begin growing in April, and they're fully grown by mid-August, typically. And depending upon the source for this information, those antlers can grow from a quarter of an inch to an inch per day. And I thought, boy, how much stress would that be on a, a system to grow those things an inch a day? Uh, some of them I know get very, very large, and it's neat to see. But um, up to an inch a day, uh, white, and these are just white-tailed deer, so which are the ones we have here.
1: Well, you know they say a human's uh, hair. Another, I was going to say a human's hair grows an inch a month. So antlers, an inch a day. Is that right? Yeah, that's what they say. The average. Wow. So, so if you were a human and you had an inch a day, just think of the long hair you could have, Al. <laughs>
0: My how uh, my eyebrows! How fast do they grow? They must grow like three <laughs> inches a month. Or your nose hairs, right?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just incredible. You you know you all of a sudden you're shaving in front of a mirror and there's this long like a feeler from an insect <laughs> coming out there. And you say well, how how long? And I have to ask my wife. I said how how long has that been there? You know, have people been walking away that's why kids have been covering their eyes when they've been walking by and then you you cut it off and then like two weeks later there's another one i don't know how that works but it's just uh or why it works apparently man was meant to have uh warm parts right above his eyes i guess i don't know maybe they're supposed to crawl down and cover your eyes in cold weather. I think it keeps the snow,
1: maybe it helps keep the snowflakes from going into your eyes. It's sort of a
0: deflector. Yeah, yeah, you know, like a lot of guys my age, we've all had mustaches and things. And boy, I know that being outside in the winter, they would all freeze and I was always (laughs) dripping and stuff. So I don't know if I need more of that kind of stuff to be dripping or not. Um, if you have a young child and you want them to watch birds, you say, I like birds, you know, I'd like my kid to, he, he should watch birds. We like people, we like our kids to do so much better than we do, but yet we like to instill them with some of the things that we found joy in. And we like them to have some of those family traditions and maybe watching birds is a family tradition because it is in a lot of family feeding and watching birds. Somebody wanted to know what's a real easy way to get a young child to watch birds. I, I think there's two. One is to watch birds because kids do what they see their parents doing. You know, if, if my parents read books all the time. So boy, I just fell into reading books all the time and still do that. So if you watch birds, that will certainly bring them into it. But an easy way is to attach a feeder to a window where the child sees it pretty regularly. And they will... uh, find joy in seeing those birds. So it's just a real easy way to turn kids in into birders. And, and there's a lot worse things they could be than but, birders.
1: Do so you know what? I think, I've <laughs> My kids are turning into tree watchers because I'm into plants a lot, you know. So as we travel along... I will talk about the different varieties of trees, so I'll point them out and I'll say to the boys, now what kind is that? And you go along a boulevard and they will know, well, that's a ginkgo, well, that's a maple, that's an oak. And then I'll talk about the structure of the tree because I like to prune trees and, you know, what the strong leader should be. I'll say, which do you think is a strong leader? So kind of like watching (laughs) birds, (laughs) my boys are learning lots about trees and, of course, they always joke that if we go by a plant store, uh, if it's dad drive, we just kind of go along and keep going. But if it's mom, it's like, <laughs> stop. So, yeah, it, yeah. it, it is true. It, and, you know, people say, well, how do your kids know so much about nature? Well, like you said, it's, it's something if you observe it and you are really into it, they will be, too. And, and my boys certainly are into the sciences and into the nature. And I'm, I'm really I'm proud of that because my dad and mom were the same way with us. And so I think that we're just passing that down.
0: I I think he should be proud. It's a wonderful thing. Is as, as my father would tell me, if you like birds, you'll never be bored a day in your life. And right. we could take birds out and put nature in there. There's just so much going on in nature. And, and boy, I love the uh, the willow trees that will be just becoming so beautiful. Uh, and I think they're they might be our most beautiful tree in the winter time. And uh, I just love seeing them. I hope everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links as as the special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet well hardly any You know, I I get stuff in the mail all the time about financial planning, you know, come to this meeting or call me and I'll I'll save your life. Financial planning wasn't the big deal it is today during my childhood when the earth was cooling. My family's planning was concentrated in basic things like turning off the lights. (laughs) I'd barely free myself of a room before my father would growl, turn off that light. I don't work for the electric company, you know, Uh, so I'd turn it off. But I was stung by the command. I I considered waiting until I'd hear my father snoring one night. I'd get out of bed, and I'd sneak down, and I'd turn that light back on and then run back to bed and leave it on all night. I'd snigger devilishly (laughs) while doing so. And Dad would never know that I was the one that committed such an outrageous act because he'd seen me go to bed. Oh, you know, I'd, I'd planned on tossing a nickel on the dad's change spread over the top of his bedroom dresser to cover the extra electricity cost. But I never did get up and turn that light on. Was it because my conscience said, you shouldn't be doing that? No, it was because I always fell asleep before I could. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past thanks for listening and uh, do something wild today get out there and look at a bird thank you karen
1: al it's always great to chat with you and i'm glad we got uh, you on the air today and uh, we'll talk to you again next week how's that sound
0: i look forward to it
1: all right bye-bye all right our good friend al bat there via telephone it is 10:31.